electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Fleet Week, and you can see it right there on Wall Street. Tech and everything else today for the markets as NVIDIA powers a big gain in the NASDAQ 100, which finished up almost 2.5%. That is the scorecard on Wall Street, but the action is just getting started. Welcome to Closing Bell Overtime. I'm Morgan Brennan with John Fort. We've got another big hour of earnings on the way across retail and tech. Reports coming from Marvell, Autodesk, Costco, RH, and Gap. Can't promise it'll be as big as yesterday, but you never know. Plus, we'll talk about the supercharged moves for companies dealing in artificial intelligence following NVIDIA's blockbuster earnings in overtime yesterday. And we're joined by the CEO of C3AI. Yeah, well, let's get straight into today's market action. Joining us now are Mira Pandit from J.P. Morgan Asset Management and Brad Slingerland from NZS Capital. Good afternoon to you both. Mira, I'll, I'll start with you. Your take on just the incredible move we saw in NVIDIA uh, today and what it did to power all things AI-related, whether it's other semi-stocks or the mega-cap tech peers uh, like Microsoft, like Amazon, like others that, that led the gains for the S&P and the NASDAQ today. We're becoming more constructive on areas within tech. We've seen a really sharp rally, but I think what differentiates what's going on in tech now as opposed to a few months ago is the fact that we're seeing it's not just a macro story driven by rates or driven by recession one way or the other, but it's really about the fundamentals. You're seeing that a lot of these tech companies underneath the surface are making the changes that they need to in order to shore up profitability, and it showed in this recent earnings season in terms of profits. And in addition to that, we're starting to see what are the game changers for the next decade when we think about AI. Now, I don't think we should put too much in the price too fast. The rally has been really sharp, and this is going to be a decade-long theme at least. So we need to be a little bit cognizant of that, that a very narrow range of stocks is rallying right now, while the rest of the stock market is actually looking pretty fairly valued. So let's look for a little bit of balance as investors. Okay. And I meant Alphabet, not Amazon. Amazon actually ended the day slightly lower. Brad, want to get your thoughts on this uh, and specifically just the investor enthusiasm we're seeing for AI and whether NVIDIA has uh, essentially confirmed uh, some of these big moves into some of these biggest names that we have seen in recent weeks. Well, I think so. Look, it, it's still early days for AI. This is going to be with us for the next decade or two as these big technology platform transitions do tend to last, last multi-decades and we're just starting this one. So people are very excited. They can get a little bit perhaps too overexcited on days, days like today. But the evidence is coming in that it's early. It's a huge investment cycle. There's a lot of ways to look at it, a lot of ways to, to play it. A lot of other companies providing that infrastructure beyond just NVIDIA, and a lot of companies that are going to take advantage of it and apply AI to their industries across the entire gamut of the economy and be able to, to use it to, to drive productivity, to drive deflation, and to increase margins and really boost, boost their business over time. 
Mira, I'm wondering if investors shouldn't use this AI excitement, the big NVIDIA move, as an excuse to turn their attention elsewhere. The Russell was down a half a percent today, whereas the Nasdaq was up, I think, 1.7 percent. And the Russell's down around where it started the year. So, you know, if, if AI is overhyped, if it's not whatever, is there value to be had at some point in small caps, even though there's a lot of economic uh, uncertainty heading into the back half of 23? At some point, there will be value to rotating into small caps, but we do want to be a little bit cautious still, given the fact that small caps are higher beta. They do tend to experience worse profit outcomes and, and, and worse downside when we do hit potential economic downturns. And we want to be cognizant that we still believe we could be in for a recession towards the end of the year. If we think about broader issues that companies are facing from higher wages to higher input prices, that has an overburdensome impact on areas that are smaller companies versus larger. So I still think we want to gear towards profitability and gear towards quality, which you tend to find more in the large cap space. But at some point, we're going to find a really attractive uh, entry point for small cap. I think given the economic cycle, we might be just a little bit early. Uh, looks like Autodesk earnings uh, might be out. Uh, let's go to Steve Kovac, who's got the numbers. Steve? Yeah, John, and shares are falling a little more than 1% after the Q2 uh, guidance was a little lighter than expected. But Q1 results uh, were right in line with expectations. EPS at $1.55 adjusted and revenue at $1.27 billion, all that exactly in line. And like I said, the current quarter Q2 guidance uh, just slightly lighter than the street was expecting. They're looking at um, expecting EPS between $1.70 and $1.74. That's versus the $1.77 the street was looking for. And on the revenue side, they're looking at $1.315 billion to $1.325 billion in revenue versus the $1.33 billion the street was expecting. Shares down about 1.3% here, John. All right, Steve, thank you. You got it. I uh, got to mention Autodesk's CEO, Andrew Anagnost, is going to be with us to break down those results tomorrow on Overtime. Brad, uh, on these Autodesk results, they're in the process of changing the, the cycle on which they bill. And uh, last quarter, there was a big reaction to that. I'm not sure if analysts yet have worked that into their models for expectations quarter to quarter. Uh, how much would you look at that? I know you, you kind of like Autodesk's uh, medium and long-term potential as a stock. Yeah, we've, we've owned Autodesk for a while. We think they benefit greatly from the huge investments in infrastructure, uh, the greening of the global economy, and everything that needs to be built will need to be designed. And they have a great a set of tools to do that. They are going through a transition from uh, billing, uh, you know, a, a, on a license-based basis to a subscription basis. Those tend to be lumpy. They don't tend to just happen like clockwork every quarter. But we have seen this over and over and over again. And it's the way customers prefer to pay. It's better for the business, and they always make it through the other side. And they have uh, that that more stable subscription revenue. So we're less focused on that quarter-to-quarter transition and more focused on the big long-term opportunity. Uh, for design and software and generative AI in design, which we think is going to be uh, really open up that market and provide a lot of growth for, for the design software space. All right. That's stock now down less than a percent. So uh, a lot of bumping around to do. Brad, Mira, thank you. Now, the semiconductor ETFs, SMH and SOX 
hitting a 52-week high today on the back of those NVIDIA earnings. The SMH posted its best day since November of last year. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli back with us now from the New York Stock Exchange with a broader look at chips. Mike? Yeah, John, and this group is really beginning to consume a huge share of the oxygen in this market, even over and above other areas of tech. I use the XSD semiconductor ETF in part because it's more equally weighted, so it's not driven just by a handful of stocks. NVIDIA's, you know, second biggest holding. It's like 4%, 3 or 4%. So this is really the broader move in semis. Uh, and it shows you, it goes back three years now, and it's just maintained this lead over the broader market as well as software. If you remember 2020 and 2021, much more of a software kind of cloud services type of uh, a market. So here it's a generally bullish thing when semiconductors have led, although you might be able to ask the question as to whether the bets are becoming a little bit over aggressive in some parts uh, of the group. Now take a look at semis compared to transports, mostly because they are both traditionally these bellwether groups. Groups. You'd like to see them performing uh, in line with a, uh, a broader index and sort of giving you a green light for further gains. And it's a mixed picture. It really shows you this uneven nature of this market. Uh, transports have not traded particularly well recently uh, and obviously fallen behind semis. There's not necessarily something that should link these two groups, except that they're seen as perhaps economic bellwethers uh, and risk appetite uh, bellwethers out there as well. So uh, it's just this is a market that's not been in gear for a while with lots of things working at once. But so far, it's been enough, even with a lot of stocks making new 52-week lows, for the indexes to hold uh, in the upper end of, uh, of their multi-month range. Morgan. Yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating. And just in terms of the transports, you've seen some of the trucking rates, for example, just fall off a cliff. Container shipping has been having a very hard time and just a lot of weakness in the category that is intermodal, which in some ways is, is a read on the consumer and, and really speaks to more of the, the retail and consumer focused goods heavy part uh, exactly. of our economy as well. I'm just curious. I'm just curious in terms of another look at the economy here. I mean, we've been getting some pretty strong data, including today. Claims came in lower than expected, for example, the GDP reading. I mean, yep. you, you could even potentially call it hawkish. And just to switch gears here a little bit, the bond market seems to be pricing in a, a larger possibility now uh, of an of a interest rate increase at the next Fed meeting. It is. At least that's what the numbers are telling us. There's been uh, absolute backup in yields. It's been notable, even on the longer end. You're seeing the 10-year at 3.8. So probably a combination of firmer economic activity outside of the, the goods sector, which we kind of knew we were going to have some payback on, as well as some hawkish Fed speak out there. And it's just feeding into this uncertainty about what we know about when and whether the Fed's going to pause. You, know, you have to throw out the caution that uh, just the kind of twisted up nature of some of the action because of the debt ceiling uh, standoff on the short end of the Treasury curve could be fouling up the message of what the, the market actually expects out of the Fed. But there's no doubt the direction is away from a sure thing pause and toward maybe uh, uh, more tightening down the road. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's pretty incredible with, with NVIDIA's market cap uh, moving closer to a trillion dollars. That definitely got the attention to kick off the hour instead of debt ceiling, which feels like a, a, a nice change here <laughs> in closing bell overtime. All right, we're going to see you later in the hour. Mike Santoli. Marvell Technology earnings are out. Christina Partsnevelis has the numbers. Hi, Christina. Hi. Well, Marvell's known for data infrastructure chips, and they beat on the top and bottom line. Adjusted EPS, 31 cents. That's a two-cent beat on revenues of about $1.32 billion, so a slight beat there. For Q2, they are guiding a little bit higher, 32 
cents adjusted for EPS on revenues of $1.33 billion. So that is a little bit higher. According to management in the uh, press release right now, they said that AI has emerged as a key growth factor, but they're still in the early stages. That was a concern with a lot of analysts going into this report that this company doesn't have as much AI exposure. They did say, too, that revenue growth should grow accelerate in the second half of this year, accompanied by gross and operating margin expansion. More specifically, if I break it down into segments, the two weakest segments right now, consumer fell a little bit short and auto industrials also came in a little bit short. They're seeing strength in data centers, enterprise networking and carrier infrastructure. So again, top and bottom line beat shares skyrocketing 18% right now. Yeah, interesting, Christina. And the CEO saying, while we're still in the early stages of our AI ramp, we are forecasting our AI revenue in fiscal 24 to at least double from the prior year. So investors excited about yeah. AI right now. Thank you. And Workday earnings also out. That stock jumping as well. Steve Kovac has those numbers. Steve. I sure do, John. And shares are up better than 6% right now. So here's what we got. Beats on the top and bottom lines. EPS coming in at $1.31 a share versus the $1.12 the street was expecting. And revenues, a very slight beat, $1.68 billion versus the estimate of $1.67 billion. And also announcing a new CFO and raising full-year guidance for subscription revenue on the lower end of their guidance. So a little boost there. That's sending shares up now better than 7%, John. All right, Steve, thank you. Sure thing. Shares of C3 AI initially getting a big pop following NVIDIA's steady results. Those gains repaired throughout the session ended up with just a nice pop of 2%. Up next, we'll ask CEO Tom Siebel if he's seeing the same type of AI demand that drove NVIDIA's big beat overtime's back in two. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. NVIDIA surging after posting blowout earnings and raising its guidance to $11 billion in revenue for the current quarter, 50% above analyst estimates. And it's closing in on the trillion-dollar market cap club, where Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Amazon are all members. Other players in semiconductor hardware design and equipment like AMD, Cadence, Synopsys, and Supermicro, all getting a big boost. Supermicro, a huge boost. It was up almost as much as NVIDIA. They make high-performance computing and AI systems using NVIDIA chips. I spoke to the CEO, Charles Liang, earlier today for his read on AI-driven demand. Indeed, our demand has been growing kind of crazy. So, uh, 
year over year, last year we grew about 100% in uh, accelerating GPU product. And this year, the growth uh, can be very fast. I hope we can beat the last year, 100% growth. But who knows? Let's see. Maybe they'll double again. Based in Silicon Valley, they assemble those systems in Silicon Valley as well. Other names in artificial intelligence, like C3AI, getting an initial bump, pairing back some of those gains. Joining us now, C3AI CEO Tom Siebel. Tom, uh, wow, NVIDIA up like 160-something percent year-to-date. C3AI is up 150-something percent uh, year-to-date. Underneath these crazy volatile stock moves, what is the business impact of uh, OpenAI's moves, the focus on generative AI? What kind of customer traction are you seeing? And is it following these chip purchases that apparently they're making for the likes of NVIDIA? Well, John, in 40 years in the information technology business, I've never seen anything quite like this. I mean, the demand for enterprise AI is huge and it's soaring. And now uh, this is on the tip of the tongue of every CEO, every government uh, uh, regulator, minister, okay, and every manager. How can I use AI to improve my business operations? And I think our uh, the recent announcement uh, from NVIDIA, I mean, this is proof positive that this market is huge and rapidly growing. And uh, I think that they're... You know, their their sales next quarter have been increased from seven billion to eleven billion in a quarter. I mean, this is just just staggering. And this is all about running machine learning models, deep learning models, supervised learning models, uh, reinforcement learning, and generative AI. And there's hard work beneath the surface in having the right models by industry training on the the companies or organizations or government's data. That's the area that you're focused in. I'm concerned. It's hard to focus on the fundamentals and not the stock moves. So uh, tell me about what either governments are doing or by industry, who's making the most headway in uh, generating value from this, where we're going to see steady profitable growth going into not just you, but the rest of the software portion of the AI ecosystem? Well, to date, the largest applications of enterprise AI have been in reliability, predictive maintenance, stochastic optimization, supply chain, supply network risk, uh, production optimization, demand forecasting, and fraud detection. With generative AI, I mean, generative AI just changes everything. Where we'll be using these models to basically um, you know, improve human performance at every at virtually every job sales uh, manufacturing customer service whatever it might be so it's I mean, it's a whole new game with generative ai uh, people are concerned about some of the issues with data fix uh, exfiltration uh, the ability to reinforce security um, uh, hallucination problems associated with these large language models but what we've done in C3 AI by combining that with the C3 platform, we fixed that. No hallucination problems, 10x GPU less utilization. We enforce all access controls, enforce all security, and the answers are deterministic and traceable rather than these random answers that we get from uh, some of these GPT products. I want to mention that we've got some retail earnings that have hit the tape. Costco, Gap. RH stands for Restoration Hardware. We're going through those. We'll bring them to you uh, as soon as we've gone through. It looks like gap, gapping higher. Um, So all of that will be interesting. Tom, um, you incorporated uh, generative AI 
into C3AI systems. Remember, you gave me a preview of that a couple months ago. I believe you launched it this month. Um, what is the, the feedback you're getting on that? How much tweaking are you needing to do to get it as useful for your customers as it's going to need to be? Uh, we got a request from the Department of Defense last September. We've been working with generative AI since 2020. On uh, September 17th, we got a request from our uh, contact at the Department of Defense, and it was a Saturday email. said, Tom, I need to be the Google for DOD. The, the, the customer just asked the system the question, and we get the answer. And so we went off in a room and with some, some engineers and decided designed C3 uh, uh, a generative AI. We announced it in February. Uh, we shipped it in April. So we have three customers now using it in April. I believe we'll have another 16 customers using it uh, in in the coming quarter. And the demand for this, the, the, the response that we're getting from corporations and governments are, you know, everybody else has been in this and, and showed us their slide presentation. You have working software. Let's get started. So it looks like a, it's a massive opportunity. Yeah, I, you know, I, I do speak to a number of Pentagon officials, and they do talk about the massive opportunity for, for AI, especially when it comes to countering China and some of the investments that are being made on the military side and in that country as well. I, I'm just curious. So you've already got generative AI technology and capabilities already deployed uh, on a national security basis. Is that what you're saying? We're deploying it in the Department of Defense on the secure cloud right now. Got it. And yes, okay, and in private enterprises in their secure environments now. So that's a yes. Okay, I do wanna ask you, because 29% of the float is short interest. There have been several short seller reports out in recent months. Just today you had a Bloomberg article talking about uh, criticism for product delays, talking about you potentially micromanaging based on, on accounts of some former employees. Just, there, there seems to be a lot of scrutiny of the company right now, your response. Uh, I'm actually unfamiliar with the Bloomberg article, so I, I don't know about what that they might have said. Um, you know, we have appropriate controls in the business uh, for, for what we do. In, understand, Morgan, we're handling some of the most sensitive data in the world for the United States government, for various agencies, for banks, uh, for large distributors of food. And, you know, we do manage this company. I mean, it is managed like by adults, like adults, with proper decision-making authority and controls. So we have, you know, we're, we have enormous fiduciary responsibility to our clients uh, and to the United States government, and we do comply with those responsibilities. Tom, what are you seeing in uh, investment in AI software startups? I don't know if you're looking to acquire other AI-related assets right now, but is the same kind of public market excitement that we're seeing making talent, making IP that's already in AI, that's at the startup level that you might, uh, I don't know, be looking to perhaps acquire, is it making that more expensive? Uh, John, I think you can expect to see all this human capital that is being redistributed out of the sales forces and Googles and Facebooks of the world uh, and uh, all the people kind of spinning out of the series A, B, C, D companies as they reprice re, uh, their equity, that these people are going to do, you know, uh, a large language model, generative AI startups, they're going to get funded. We're going to see hundreds and hundreds of companies get funded the next year. And I'm certain they will be coming up with kind of vertical market specific uh, large language model solutions. And I suspect many of them will be, you know, some of them will be very exciting and they'll solve very real problems very well. So I think this is 
you know, this is going to be very big, and I think very big for the metro capital industry in Silicon Valley and New York and wherever. All right. There's some hype, but there's some real value being created as well. Tom Siebel, thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Morgan. Well, we have a trio of retail earnings. Courtney Reagan has the numbers. Hi, Court. Hi, Morgan. Let's start with RH. RH is reporting $2.21 adjusted earnings. This is not comparable to analyst estimates, though uh, the revenues are stronger than expected at $739 million. The company is raising its revenue outlook for the full year, which is largely in line, but the second quarter revenue outlook is below analyst consensus. And they're talking about increased markdowns to clear some discontinued inventory moving forward. Let's move on to shares of Gap, which are higher. RH shares are lower and Gap is reporting earnings of a cent adjusted with revenues in line at $3.28 billion. Same store sales down 3% about in line with weakness from Old Navy or Banana Republic as expected. Old Navy down slightly. Gap a little bit stronger than expected. Like other retailers, margins are a little bit higher. Mixed signals on the guidance for Gap as well. Shares though up 14% after being under significant pressure the last three months. And then Costco, we have Costco reporting $3.43 X items per share. That is a strong beat by the analyst consensus for $3.29. The revenues are a little shy at $53.65 billion compared to $54.56 billion. Same store sales up just a hair, 0.3%, with e-commerce down 10%. This report, as usual, is fairly thin on the details, but we will listen for the conference call and bring you more when we have it. Morgan, back over to you. All right. Courtney Reagan, thank you. After the break, we're going to talk about all of today's big retail earnings movers and what we've learned about the state of the American consumer. Plus, we are awaiting the latest Fed balance sheet data due out any minute. We're going to bring you those numbers as soon as they cross. Overtime, we'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Overtime. Some big retail movers on earnings, including a double-digit spike for Gap, which is up 14.5% right now. Let's bring in Telsey Advisory Group CEO, Dana Telsey. Dana, great to have you on. We get more results, and the more we get, the more I think it is a really mixed picture for the consumer here, especially when I see Costco with just same-store sales of 0.3% when we know that consumers are spending more money on things like groceries and necessities right now. Exactly. Thank you for having me, Morgan. We are seeing more of a focus on essentials than on discretionary. But one of the things we're seeing from all businesses, they're managing better. With lower ocean freight rate costs, lower supply chain costs, and leaner inventory, that's part of the reason why you're seeing the margin pick up. Keep in mind the guidance does require, for the most part, retailers to have a pickup in the back half of the year. That's what I'm concerned about. Can the hockey stick really happen? What is the high-end consumer 
doing? Is, uh, the story had been that luxury was doing better, uh, consumers who make more were doing better. It, that seems to be a little bit muddier right now, especially after these RH results and, and whatnot. Uh, what are you seeing? I'm seeing that the luxury consumer is moderating also. They're moderating their spend. But one of the things with luxury, you have to put it in context. Compared to 2019, many of the luxury brand sales are up 50% plus compared to 2019. So if they're moderating, whether it's high single digits or low double digits, it's still off an accelerated base that they haven't seen, that they haven't had before. I do think luxury is moderating, but off a very high base. All right. We'll continue to watch it. Dana Telsey, thank you. Thank you. Now let's get a news update with Seema Modi. Seema. Hi, John. Here's what's on our radar right now. Lawmakers in Washington are heading home for the holiday weekend, even as debt ceiling negotiations continue. House Democrats took to the floor today attacking McCarthy for making the move before a deal is reached to avert a debt default. Democrat Pramila J. Paul telling reporters after a caucus meeting that lawmakers were told they could be called back to D.C. as early as Sunday. Forecasters from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration are predicting a near-normal hurricane season, featuring one to four major hurricanes that reach Category 3 or higher. NOAA releasing its outlook today for the Atlantic hurricane season and cautioned that people in hurricane zones should take note of a near-normal forecast lightly. And NBA legend Shaquille O'Neal was served with an FTX-related lawsuit at a Miami Heat playoff game earlier this week after dodging servers for months. The Big Diesel is targeted in lawsuits related to his endorsement of the now-bankrupt crypto business. Shaq had previously said that he was just a paid spokesperson, shouldn't be held accountable for failed ventures. Morgan, back to you. Seema Modi, thank you. Well, you saw the Navy ringing the closing bell at the NYSE earlier this hour. After the break, my exclusive interview with the U.S. Navy Secretary, Carlos Del Toro, aboard the USS Wasp, which is in New York City for Fleet Week. China, debt ceiling debate, AI in the military, something we just talked about with Tom Siebel. That's all coming up after the break. Breaking news from the Fed. Steve Leisman has the details. Steve? Thanks very much, Jonathan. The um, Federal Reserve balance sheet for the week ending in Wednesday, down again by $20 billion. I'm just counting the number of weeks it's been down. Been down a lot of weeks in a row now. Um, this is not the biggest decline we've seen. Um, but we, we're still making our way back to where we were before the Silicon Valley Bank uh, uh, and the Fed infusion into the system from that. We're still about $94 billion above where we were. So how do we get here? Borrowing at the Fed discount window was down $4.2 down $4.8 billion to $4.2 billion. So that's kind of going away. What's not going away and still is getting some take up there is this new bank lending facility uh, totaling $91.9 billion. That's up $4.9 billion. And I'm going to put an asterisk on that because I want to know um, whether or not, now that we've seen yields rising again, are banks going to want to come to this facility for additional borrowing now that maybe some of their securities are more underwater, their treasure securities? Combined borrowing by the banks totaled $96.1 billion. That was up just a little bit. Uh, loans to the Bridge Bank, $192 billion. That was down 
about $16 billion as the FDIC appears to be making some progress in selling the assets of the bridge banks and paying down that loan from the Federal Reserve. So um, on the way back towards we're still doing quantitative, <clears throat> pardon me, quantitative tightening, Jonathan, and, uh, uh, but we're not back to where we were. The balance sheet is not back to where it was before Silicon Valley Bank failed. Back to you. All right. Thank you. Nobody does the Fed salad buffet balance sheet better than Steve Leisman. <laughs> thank you for bringing us that weekly read. Thanks, Morgan. <laughs> All right. Well, meantime, Virgin Galactic says successfully completing its first space flight in nearly two years since founder Sir Richard Branson's 2021 trip to the edge of space. He was on site, by the way, today. Today's Unity 25 mission carried a company crew of six taking off from the New Mexico desert with the air launched space plane hurtling at three times the speed of sound to an altitude of 54 miles. This was a crucial final test flight for Virgin Galactic before it begins commercial service and thus begins generating revenue as soon as next month. The space tourism company has a backlog of about 800 customers paying anywhere from $200,000 to $450,000 for a seat. And shares of Galactic actually sold off on this. It was a sell the news event, down 8% today. But keep in mind, up 28% over the past month, I think and largely in anticipation of this moment. For more on space in general, check out my podcast, Manifest Space. We've got a new episode up today, actually. Sticking with aerospace and defense, as we head into the Memorial Day holiday, it's Fleet Week. And earlier today, from the deck of the USS Wasp, which is an amphibious assault ship docked in New York City, I spoke with the Honorable Carlos Del Toro, Secretary of the U.S. Navy, to discuss everything from recruitment to defense spending to Iran, which recently seized two commercial oil tankers, including one chartered by an American company, Chevron. Take a listen. 90% of the goods that are traded all over the world actually are traded on the oceans. And actually one trillion worth of transactions, financial transactions, take place every day. Over 600 cables that are actually on the bottom of the seabed. It's the Navy's responsibility to keep those lines open. The behavior of Iran in this case is intolerable. It really is. We expect everyone, every country, to behave in accordance with the international norms of behavior and allowing free trade all right, across sea lanes that are not territorial waters of Iran. They're free and independent lanes for all nations to trade on. We cannot allow that to continue. And so we are increasing our presence in the Mediterranean to provide additional patrols to try to prevent this from happening. Have you seen any more attempts? Uh, there haven't been attempts here in the last few days since the last one occurred, but we're watching very, very closely now with all of our assets. Okay. Um, in the Mediterranean. All right, let's talk a little bit about China as well. Just yesterday, yes. Microsoft, CISA, the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance, uh, basically disclosing that a Chinese state-sponsored group has hacked critical American infrastructure, including Guam. Was the Navy affected? Uh, the Navy has been impacted by attacks, cybersecurity attacks. It has been for a long time, and we monitor them very closely. And I can't go into the specifics of what we do to try to counter those attacks and to protect ourselves from those attacks themselves. But it's no surprise that China has be, been behaving in this manner, not just for the last couple of years, but for decades. And that's also is intolerable. We shouldn't be allowing to do that, right? They're stealing our financial assets. We're here again in New York City, the nation's financial capital, and they're stealing our corporate assets, you know, IP basically that belongs to companies, commercial and national security companies. We cannot allow this to happen and we won't allow it to happen. We're seeing it in the investment community and the business community um, take root, this, this increasing 
risk uh, and, and how to game that out in terms of the possibility of China at some point absorbing Taiwan? How, how acute is the risk of an invasion uh, or even just a blockade? Well, I can't say specifically uh, what the well, the risk of the invasion, obviously, will have a negative impact on the entire, not just the, the economy of the United States, but the world economy. And also have a very negative impact, in my mind, on the Chinese economy as well, too, because their economy relies on free trade around the world. And so the dynamic will change. And that's one of the biggest lessons, I believe, for China. The actions that they take could very well lead to the detriment of their own economy, right? And sustainment of the finances of their own people as they try to bring their own people out of poverty, right? So the risks here are very, very great. But I don't think that it's inevitable. You don't think that we've seen a timeline accelerate then for China to make a move on Taiwan? I don't think the timeline has accelerated. I'd like to think that it's our job in the Department of Defense and the Department of the Navy to actually keep shifting that timeline to the, to the right so that President Xi wakes up every single day and say, huh, this is going to be a lot tougher than what I think it is. Take a look at what Putin's doing in Ukraine, for example. He thought it would be a piece of cake, cakewalk, basically, to take Ukraine. And thanks to the resilience of the Ukrainian people and the support of the American people for Ukraine, look how difficult it has been for him to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. I think those same lessons learned are being heard loud and clear in China as well. Yeah. China China now at least reportedly has the largest navy, at least by amount or number of ships in the world. Uh, how does it speak to military modernization efforts here and sure. how the U.S. Navy is countering of those course. efforts? And I'm concerned about the growth of the Chinese Navy. There's no question about that. They've been investing in their Navy uh, and their merchant Navy as well, too, and their Coast Guard and their fishing fleets since 1979, you could argue. Okay. Um, we are modernizing our Navy, however, at a rate that has not been seen in decades as well, too. Uh, President Biden and the Secretary of Defense have provided resources as part of the Navy. We currently have over 70 ships that are actually under contract. We have 55 ships that are currently under construction. These are the most modern, lethal capabilities that our nation has seen in a long, long time. We're also strengthening our nuclear triad, building our Columbia-class submarines. Our newest destroyers are the most advanced and lethal submarines. Don't compare to the cap their, their Navy doesn't compare to the capabilities that we're bringing to the table. And I'm just talking about the ones that I can talk to, not the ones that I can't even talk to. Something that's very much in focus in the tech world right now, for example, is artificial intelligence. Yes. How are you thinking about those, po those emerging technologies from a Navy standpoint, especially when you have things like autonomous ships and unmanned underwater vehicles. Uh Transformational. Transformational. It is the way of the future. It's the investments that we need to make. It's the investments that the private sector needs to make, working with us, for example. The application of AI, of machine learning. And the Department of the Navy alone, today, we have over a thousand projects that are being funded just on AI alone. Huh. across the entire spectrum, across the entire enterprise, on the business side, on the warfighting capability side, and that's the way of the future. It really is. And of course, as we have this whole conversation, there's a lot of focus on the debt drama that's playing out in D.C. right now, and a spending deal does seem to be what those negotiations are going to hinge on. As we have this entire conversation, if, if you were to see budget caps or even a cut to defense spending, what would it do to this? I think the results will, quite frankly, be detrimental. So everything that I've just spent half an hour talking to you about will pretty much come to a grind, grinding halt. We will not be able to invest in those new technologies that are necessary for us to be able to defend against China, against Russia, and other capabilities in the future. But more significantly, the financial impact to these sailors and to these Marines who rely 
on a reliable paycheck. You know, I served 17 years in private sector. I ran a built and ran a small business. In those 17 years, I never missed a payroll. It would be unforgivable if the Congress actually allowed us to miss a payroll. And it's not the commitment, the contract that we have made with our service members who serve so valiantly, right, and so selflessly in service to their nation. I asked if there are contingency plans being put in place uh, around the possibility of a default. Uh, and he said, well, we're, we're the military, we're the U.S. Navy. Of course, we've got contingency plans that we're putting in place. But, but the Navy in general, the budget request for fiscal 2024 uh, is an increase, a top line increase of four and a half percent, speaking to those military modernization efforts and, and how the service is thinking about that. I'd also just note we did talk about recruitment because the entire military has had a hard time enlisting people and bringing more people into the services because we have had a tight labor market. Um, back in the 1980s, when Top Gun came out, you actually saw a direct boost to enlistment numbers in the Navy and also the Air Force. And I asked if Maverick, which was the top grossing movie last year, has had a similar impact. And he said it's, it's hard to, to quantify the direct correlation, but, but yes. Hmm. So fun factoid for you. Fun indeed. Uh, great interview. Up next, Mike Santoli is going to look at how a potential debt ceiling deal could impact market liquidity. When we come right back. Welcome back to Overtime. Mike Santoli returns with a look at liquidity conditions as we wait for a debt ceiling deal. Mike. Yeah, Morgan, there's a kind of a scare story going around that once a debt ceiling deal is reached, the Treasury is going to have to issue a ton more securities and swamp the market with new debt. And is the market going to be able to absorb all of it and will yields shoot up? Well, this is the reason we have an X date. This is the Treasury's, U.S. Treasury's cash balance at the New York Fed. You see it was about a trillion dollars a year ago. It's down under $100 billion, more like $70 billion, although being updated today. So clearly almost out of cash. But take a look at this other balance that's out there. It is the reverse repo facility at the Fed, so-called. It allows institutions to park money at the Fed overnight in exchange for a relatively high interest rate on those deposits. It's, you know, in the 4 to 5% range. Money market funds are chiefly the institutions that do park that money at the Fed. Uh, and here you see it's up around $2.3 trillion. So the expectation is, yes, the Treasury will race to issue new Treasury bills, very short-term Treasury debt, and these types of funds will reallocate out of the Fed repo, reverse repo program, likely, at least in large numbers, to absorb the new Treasury bills because they will have attractive yields relative to this. So it seems like it won't cause some huge liquidity drain on the system, just money moving from one pocket to the other. At least that's the hope, guys. All right, Mike, thank you. Mike Santoli. Up next, Medtronic CEO on a big move in diabetes treatment and health angle on AI. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Healthcare technology company Medtronic reported earnings this morning, beat on the top and bottom. Guidance, conservative. Stock closed down 4.5%. On the bright side, the FDA warning over Medtronic's diabetes business has lifted, and now Medtronic's buying South Korean insulin patch pump maker EOflow for $738 million. I talked to Medtronic CEO Jeff Martha about it. This patch technology is, is probably the fastest growing segment we see over the next couple of years in the insulin-dependent diabetes space. So that's one. Two, it would make us this, it speeds up our market uh, entry in this segment uh, significantly, would make us the, the second player. 
And third, EOPOOL has accomplished something that many patch companies or people that have tried, companies that have tried to make a patch have not been able to do, and that's manufacture it efficiently at scale. They have the manufacturing up and running. They're on the market in Europe. They've applied for FDA approval. And that, that automated manufacturing capability is very difficult in this space. So those are the reasons we liked it. I also asked him how Medtronic investors will benefit from its AI work in areas like spinal surgery. The AI helps, you know, drive those uh, that technology during the surgery, uh, and and then our implants are used. So think about our implants are the consumables in this in this model during that surgery. So it's driving, it's improving patient outcomes, it's growing the market, but it's growing our market share. Um, you know, because we are linking it with our consumables, uh, to use an analogy uh, in this case, which in that case is spine implants. Medtronic partnering with NVIDIA for some of those efforts. Health tech competitors also working on AI, so we'll see who does it best, Morgan. Uh, it's just fascinating. Great stuff. I have many questions. <laughs> All right, well, the spike in interest rates rocking the real estate sector over the last year. Up next, we will look at which stocks in the sector are the most sensitive to rising rates. Stay with us. Welcome back. Real estate has been the worst performing sector on Wall Street over the last year, in large part because of the Fed's rate hikes. Diana Olick looks at which names are impacted the most by rising rates. Hi, Diana. Hi, Morgan. Yeah, many of the concerns related to commercial real estate values and office vacancies are tied in with the current environment of rapidly rising rates and how they impact both. Now, the team over at Markets and Data Analytics from y, firm Y Charts crunched the numbers to examine how real estate stocks have performed during the current rate hike period. Since March of 2022, when the Fed began raising rates, only two names had a significant positive correlation to the Fed funds rate, meaning they've tended to rise alongside rates. Those names are casino and gaming manager Vici Properties and specialty data and storage operator Iron Mountain. On the other hand, most real estate constituents have shown an inverse relationship to the hikes. And the three stocks that have the deepest negative correlations are residential rental players, Camden Property Trust, Equity Residential, and Essex Property Trust. Now, residential rentals could be seeing some pressure from higher rates on the value of their properties. And while rents remain historically high, inflation data indicates they could be cooling. Although, as we know, demand for rentals is still high. John. All right, Diana, thank you. Uh, let's get another check on some of the big after-hours movers in tech. Marvell spiking up 16.5% after beating on both lines with solid guidance. Workday up 7.5% after beating across the board and raising the low end of its full-year subscription revenue guidance. And Autodesk matching on EPS and revenue. That's slightly higher as well. We're going to talk to that company's CEO, Andrew Anagnost, uh, on overtime right here tomorrow. Yeah, and of course we did get some retail movers as well, and Gap was spiking higher by double digits after after hours, at least earlier in the show too. And of course that name has uh, been hit pretty hard, so maybe a little bit of a relief rally there, but just more more mixed messages on the consumer, and it's going to make that PCE inflation reading we get that we know the Fed watches so closely tomorrow all the more important. There's the consumer, right? What's happening in retail? That there's real estate, which is so important, and then there's this whole 
AI space, which we've mm -hmm. been working hard to keep the overtime viewer keyed on, especially because it's having such a big impact on these after hours moves. There's more to it than NVIDIA. It's across enterprise software. We can talk to Anagnos about how it affects uh, not only Autodesk, but the customers across construction and so many other industries. And of course, we know it is really what fueled the markets today with the NASDAQ up 1.7%, the S&P finishing the day up 9 tenths of 1%, even as the Dow was slightly lower. That's going to do it for us here at Overtime. Fast Money begins right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.